Well, very warm welcome very, back. Very good of you. And a very warm welcome to those of you coming for the first time. Does that Can mean we... you can't ask the same questions? Well, that's what I'm. That's what I was just finding out. I tell you what, let's do this. The last time I saw you, you were here to preview the show that was just upcoming, which was your trip around the Caribbean. Yeah. Where you didn't do sandy beaches, you didn't do palm palm groves and all that. I oh, know we did a few. You did a few, but yeah. you did you did gritty Caribbean. How many of you here saw Simon's Caribbean tour when he took you into the nether regions? Like of... a test. That gentleman didn't. I'm <laughs> marking. Why not? Um, but my question is, what have you been doing since then? It's been a year. Right, so I better come up with something. Is that what you're saying? Is that working? Are you hearing at the back? Good, good. Thank you very much. Your thumb went up. Um, what have I been doing? It's a good question. I've been travelling around Ireland. I uh, did a couple of programmes where I travelled around Ireland. And uh, I travelled around Greece, uh, which was exceptionally enjoyable, fascinating, a little bit shocking all at the same time. And um, that's for a couple of programmes that start, I think, this Sunday. Right. Um, I probably shouldn't say, but the BBC is bringing it out in a bit of a hurry because they decided that they think the uh, referendum's going to be called very soon. I know I'm not supposed to say this. Why say, am I saying say immediately? Everybody stop <laughs> tweeting now. No, it's not that. I, mean, I, don't think, I, don't know, I think it's... A, well, anyway, so uh, they think the referendum's going to be called and they decided that um, anything that even might slightly be accused of influencing outcomes either way, anyway, can't be shown, apparently, by the BBC during that time frame. So, okay. so they're rushing it out. I, apparently, there are trailers being shown. I, I've been sending them emails saying, can I see the trailer as well? I'd really love to see it. Do you know when it's on? And I haven't seen it. My mum's seen it, but I haven't. So that's coming out anyway. Greece was amazing. Well, tell us a bit of... While we're on Greece, tell us what was... I mean, you, the Caribbean thing was very interesting because you were, you were showing us the Caribbean that we don't normally see when we're there for yeah. a two-week package holiday. What was the philosophy yeah. behind the Greece? You're looking for Greece? Yeah, well, I'm, I was looking for the Caribbean to Caribbean. see how much of it you could see. Yeah, I mean, it's a great backdrop, actually, isn't it? Um, yeah. What was the philosophy behind it? I think the philosophy was, uh, with most of the stuff I've done, I think uh, I've tried to uh, represent the fact, I believe, and I'm sure most people would know, that most places on planet Earth are more interesting than our small amount of information that we have about them would suggest. So with the Caribbean, for example, a lot of people do just think of the Caribbean as being an, a, sm a relatively small uh, area for beach holidays. They don't think so necessarily so about the scale of the place, uh, a million uh, square miles. They don't think about the um, culture so much. They don't think about the history. And what we tried to do with that was tie it together in some small way by reflecting the fact that there is the Caribbean Sea. It's links all the countries together. They do have some shared history between them. And so I went round the Caribbean Sea, so up the coast of central, the Caribbean coast of Central America as well. For Greece, I think that the, the, the reason to do Greece is, well, apart from who on earth wouldn't want to make a TV series about Greece. I mean, Quite. it's an absolutely blessed job, I don't deny. Uh, it's a country I know reasonably well. I've probably been to Greece uh, more times than any other country I've previously filmed in. So I know a lot of Greeks. My wife is obsessed with Greece. She speaks fluent Greek. I've been there a number of times, love the place. It's extraordinary. It's having a very tricky time at the moment. I wanted to try and understand a bit more about that, but also show other sides to Greece as well. So we start, if the DVD had worked, we start uh, on a remote island with one of the last sponge divers in the Mediterranean. 
And the journey begins from there, traveling around up into the mainland, right in the north of Greece, incredible part of the world. We forget that Greece, and we, we say the word Greece, we either think of Athens or we think about the islands. Mm. And of course, it's a much more diverse yeah. country than that. It goes up a long way, almost up to what former Yugoslavia in the north. Mm. How far did you, I mean, did you, tra did you travel around all of it? Did you go and see as many of the islands as you possibly could? How did this work? I'm doing my, well, we did what, what TV will allow. Um, there's hundreds of islands, of course. Uh, so we went to just a, a handful of the islands in, in truth. But what we tried to do was, was find interesting stories, interesting places, and most of all, fascinating people. So we started down in the Dodecanese. I'm sure people know down in the southeast, really, of Greece. And then we went across to Crete, um, filmed in Crete, up into the Peloponnese, to Athens, right up into the, the north. Uh, I don't know if you've been up there at all. But I have, yeah. in the, have you been to the Pindos Mountains, which no. are right up closer to the border? Oh, there was a hand went up there quickly with pleasure and excitement. <laughs> so the Pindos Mountains in the north of Greece are, are absolutely not the sort of stereotypical view of, of, of what we think of when we say Greece. They're a little bit like the Canadian Rockies, but in sunshine. Glorious, massive, enormous valleys, um, perhaps the deepest gorge in the world is up in the Pindos Mountains. Um, the Vikos Gorge, if, just if you happen to go that way. Don't know if you went, but it's really worth visiting. I mean, it's an incredible part of Europe. It's an incredible part of planet Earth. But right up there, in the north of Greece, and really not that often visited, is one of the most dramatic sites in Europe. This gorge I'm talking about, the Vikos Gorge, limestone cliffs going down 1,600 feet to a river below. You can stand on the edge there, as I did, and you can do a booming hello that reverberates wow. out into the distance. And it's, it gets the hairs going up when I think about it. It's like a lost world. I mean, it's an incredible place to go. So we went across the north of Greece, um, went to Mount, Mount Athos Peninsula. I'm not right. sure if you're familiar with yeah. that, but um, that's one of the holiest areas for the uh, Greek Orthodox Church. And it's a, one of the last areas, a bastion of masculinity, Christ. one of the last areas that women are banned from to this day. Goodness me. And they're a member of the European Union. How do they live <laughs> And actually, they're getting some European Union money as well to refurbish some of the monasteries, the monasteries there, yeah. which creates, you know, quite, uh, perhaps not surprisingly, a bit of um, uh, controversy, controversy, shall we say, about the fact that women are excluded from this entire peninsula. It's quite a large area and have been for a thousand years. Is, is the Athos Monastery the one where the monks used to go up with a, in a wicker basket on a rope pulley? No, that, oh goodness, I, I'm up on the stage, so I'm going to forget all the, yeah, exactly. the names. I've been there, Meteora. That, well I think that's Meteora, any yep. nods? Meteora, thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so that, that's, absolutely, that's the one in the Bond film. It is, Do you yes. remember that? So uh, Roger Moore, one of those, that, those um, that era of Bond film. And that was what I watched that when I was a kid. And it looked as a, as a place. My goodness, it looked exotic. And it still is. You know, Greece is just at the end of the Mediterranean. It's an incredible place. When were you filming this? When? Uh, last year? Summer. Last summer through to late autumn. And they were editing it. It takes about six weeks to edit each program. And they were editing it. Did the voiceover about two weeks ago. So you were there across the course of one of the greatest modern migrant. Yes. Migrant roads in history. Yeah. Did you talk to the Greeks? Did you get a chance to talk to Greeks about what they were thinking about them being at the front line of Europe? 
and so hard on the fact that they were having a terrible time economically. Did you get to, I suppose the question really is, what did you learn of the human story yeah. of those that live in Greece? I was just smiling because the Greeks are very good at telling you how they feel about things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we definitely heard their opinions. Um, and uh, I, I suppose trying to uh, reflect those opinions accurately was, was a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it was, it's an extraordinary, um, very upsetting, very emotional, very confusing uh, situation to witness. And we arrived on Lesbos, actually, just as that situation was really starting to become not just a situation, but a, a massive crisis for all concerned. Um, this was quite early on last summer, and we, it, it was a turning point where people had been crossing at night from Turkey, and they were then coming during the day. And if, you know, we're down, sorry, just to be a, so we're over here somewhere. You know, the, the distance between some of the Greek islands and the, and the Turkish coast. Two, three miles. It's, it is exactly that. It is swimmable. Yeah. You know, people do swim across. And this is, obviously it's a, it's a big political challenge, it's a social challenge, we, we know that. In answer to your point about Greece, yes, they are, they are struggling with it. I mean, Greece is having a very tough economic time. That's probably, that's, the reasons for that are probably slightly separate, but it ma it's making it very hard for them to deal with this uh, re refugee and migrant crisis. Quite. I think, I feel, uh, I mean, I'd be re very interested to see to, um, how people react to what we filmed and put in the program. Because my feelings about it are personally quite confused. And actually, I can already feel myself getting a bit emotional just thinking about it. Because I was on the beaches with my small colleague and small, small uh, team of colleagues as dinghies of men, women, and children came across from Turkey. Some of them fleeing war, many of them desperate, some of them looking for a better life, some of them as well, young blokes looking for adventure. It's the full spectrum. And when we don't accept that, when we think, all right, they're all uh, you know, welfare benefit cheats, or they're all utterly desperate people seeking, seeing, uh, fleeing war, I just don't think we fully reflect the reality of, of the situation and movement of, of hundreds of thousands of people. It is a modern phenomenon. We absolutely haven't got a grip on it. It was extraordinary to be standing there and there to be just us. There was a couple of German tourists. One of them, the bloke was wearing the budgie smugglers. There's a woman in a bikini. And then there's just scores and scores of people coming in. No, no Greek official presence. No European official presence. Nothing. And I spoke, I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away with it now, but uh, the hairs are really going up on the arm. I spoke to a, a young lad from Afghanistan, from Kabul, and I said to him, I, I said, we're from the BBC, and he said, ah, yes, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And I thought, oh, God, in that, there's intelligence, there's, there's knowledge. You're clearly already, I don't even know where you're from, but I know that your country needs you. He's from Kabul. And he said to me a month ago, him and all his classmates had a call from a friend and they had the call said Europe's Europe is open the borders are open and they all got up and they left and they headed in towards wow. Europe and of course they would all of us would they want a better life of course they do but what one of the many things about it that worries me is what happens when the brightest and the best get up and leave I've been in a lot of countries where they've experienced this massive brain drain Places yeah. like Haiti, where up to 90% of university-educated people have left. You cannot build 
a functioning country on, on that basis. Right. So I'm, I feel very confused and concerned about it for all sorts of reasons. Sorry. I don't think you sound confused at all. I think you nailed it. And it's a great Greek word. It's full of pathos when you see these people coming up. They, they've got it all for us, haven't they've they? They've got it all yeah. for us. Tragedy, chaos, drama. Oh, yeah. We've exactly. Got... You mentioned the crew that you use, and you gave us an insight into this last year when you were talking about the Caribbean, because we imagine, as BBC license pairs, that there are fleets of private aircraft shipping out massive uh, yes. amounts of camera gear. <laughs> you keep it small, you keep it very tight. How, I mean... The, well, I don't, to be honest. I'd be quite happy if we had that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there are, there are bean counters, and uh, that dismisses them. Absolutely. No, they're, they're, there's people who keep a close eye, sensibly, on the finances and query why certain, you know, why do you actually need that bit of equipment or whatever? Yeah, sorry, so I interrupted slightly, but... No, 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 not at all. Um, so how many people did, how many were on your team in Greece? How much do you spend? Yeah. That's not the question <laughs> I'm asking. So four of us uh, generally travel, um, so I keep moving this, don't I? If I get too boomy, you will tell me off. Um, four of us generally go out from the UK on most of the stuff I've done. Shh. Um, obviously that's me One. Uh, mucking about in front of the camera. Um, got magnificent um, cameraman. Um, again, it's quite a small pool of people that are willing uh, to work with me and on the projects and are brilliant enough to make them look good. Um, then we have a producer director who does a bit of everything, an assistant producer who does a bit of everything. We all do a bit of everything, really. Sometimes they let me film with a very small camera that's gone autofocus. Um, normally it involves hanging out of a car, filming a wheel. There's a few shots in there where you can see a strange shot of a wheel as we're driving along at speed. And they're always quite willing for me to do that. I don't know why. Yeah. So they, they say they'll look out for branches, but small team, you know, we travel fairly, fairly light. The days of the big caravan of people going on the shoots, I think, sadly, are over because people realised it wasn't an entirely fair way of spending the licence fee payers' money. Actually, since I've been working in telly, which I've been... I can't believe I've been doing it 12 years now. The first thing I did, I realised it wasn't going to be all glamour because we were going to Central Asia and we are going to be in sort of minus 10 conditions. So after much discussion, they let me buy some very warm socks on the budget. <laughs> and then at the end of the shooting, after I had schlepped and trekked all around Central Asia, somebody came with a clipboard and said, give us those socks back. Absolutely. <laughs> they had to be washed and so they went back into the... The first problem we faced so, you know, is um, our learning courses can look quite dull. So I'm going to show you how with my how template here, I can create a really exciting so looking and engaging um, publication. A so it's really easy for me to add uh, words and it, pictures it, to this. It, it, I can just drag and drop them in. Like the and just like that, I'm able to crop my image I'm and right um, choose how I want to display it. No, no, really no, easy. My, my and if I decide I don't like something, I'm not committed to that at all, I can just drag and drop something else. Really that easy. Now, of course, I can also do that on any page, wherever I want. I was making teleprograms. That's all I seem to do. Um, well, I so already have these images and I've uploaded them to my inventory. Uh, if I get more images later on, um, I can just upload them here from my computer or from my brand team or wherever. Uh, if I don't have the images I need, I can search um, a stock library. Now, that's just not any old stock library, that's Getty Images stock library. So I can get really high quality images whenever I want. It was an idea and of course, it's not just pictures that you can edit. Um, in content mode, I can also change the words very easily as well. You know, don't have to re-key anything either. I can copy and paste stuff just like that. I've made some checks. So, um, as well as content, of course, I'm able to control the appearance and layout of all these different panels. For example, if I just select these two panels here, 
I can so change them from that dull grey to a more vivid red colour, just like that. And of course I can control the positioning and all of this sort of stuff about these modules. And a bit of context and background to things. And likewise with the island programs I did, that was fun. Yes, absolutely. So as you can see, I'm working from a template. I haven't made this all from scratch. It's all been ready for me to get, get, uh, get to work with. Of course, if I was now completely happy with this template and happy with the brand colours and the logos and all stuff, and I wanted my colleagues to start using it, I can actually the people being very conservative and overwhelmingly Catholic. So I thought it would be a great journey to investigate that, explore that a bit, tinker with the idea, perhaps reinforce some thoughts. And or something like that. I can make sure they can't change. Others. I loved it. Um, it probably got more... I was probably critiqued. Not all um, just solely based on templates. I can uh, so it design... It was, a it was a learning curve. How easy that is to get started. I'm going to create a new page, make it a double page spread, and everything you've seen so far has been created using these tools here. They're different text tools and some image panels and things like that. And it's really easy just to drag them out, drop images in. Great. I'm just going to recrop that. Really simple. Go back in there, drop in some shapes perhaps. Whatever works for me. And because it's a country that is imbued with a Oh no, absolutely not. This is all Dublin. I think they've moved on from it. I don't have to install any software on my computer. I don't have to download any drivers or anything like that. Everything's just ready for me when I How many of here enjoyed the island shows? Don't you dare put your hands down. Oh no, no, Absolutely. So if my colleagues are able to log into my company account, um, they can make contributions to my design as well. Justifiable criticism about that. And I you know we try and cover example, some if, uh, subjects in these if there's some different text or different and I've always felt very lucky that people watch the errors and they uh, know how to correct it, then that's fine. They can all, all do the that too. The criticism we get has, has almost always been intelligent, well observed and often right. And I really do try to learn from it. Um, you're, I mean, you are a broadcaster. You're in the public eye. People a broadcaster love, like that. People yeah. love what you are. It's what you do. F-list presenter. So can we talk about the criticism and how, yeah. how, you, do, how you do receive that? Because a lot of people just put their hands up and say, you don't know what you're talking about, and they don't hear. But I get the impression that you're actually hearing what people say when they write in, when they... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I'll try and be reasonable about it. I mean, my instant reaction is is um, red mist right, so and rage. What that now, um, our, well, what our online design system well, has done is it's exported our design and, and it's now available to view in PageTiger, uh, which basically means I'm it's currently a flipbook you know, magazine-style, brochure-style website. <laughs> so I'm ready to turn the pages and look at the content that I've... And deep breaths and just reflect it's looking really good, but what you can a, see in sign at the bottom here, for example, and over the page um, there, I I've try and learn from it, obviously. Um, you know, for example, I think they haven't got a point, I'm going to try and explain why. Um, I mean, to be honest, obviously, there's a sort of you're a tele presenter, you can be in a bit of a bubble. Um, design I was working on chuck brickbats as much as they like, but. You know, uh, it, it, it's at forums like this where it's quite you good to hear what, what people think. Contains all of the interactive modules that PageTiger has to make uh, publications interactive. So anything from collecting feedback to uh, downloading different files to um, just navigation and media, that's all available to use. So for example, I'm going to create a video module. Now this blue region is where my video is going to play. So I'm just going to drag it into place and position it. I'm going to explore oh, I like over this black square through, uh, or the rectangle. People who live there. Something Silly. like that. There were ways anyway. I could have done it. But 
and then I can I just go in here and I've got settings for that really and I've already uploaded my video and if we'd gone further if we called it let's just say select it as a resource Ireland set it to autoplay and I can give it a better title for reference later minimum viewers now so we would have we it might seem a bit dull but when I refresh this viewers or what called you can see my publication is already starting to come to life and now I have video content on the page and that's information that I need my colleagues to understand yeah, if I'd been more honest, we would have got so, a lot less. It's a really with that information there, balance to get. It's if I said at the start of the Caribbean series, come with me on a journey. Absolutely. So I'm if my company has learning videos and stuff, I can all include that. Or maybe we've got more video uh, material being made. Whatever's coming up. So the important thing now is now that information is in the publication, it it's good to know that it's been taken on board. So now I'm so going to test people. So for example, I'm going to use this poll module. Really not what we and what this is going to do is it's going to ask them this question here. What should you do, or which fire extinguisher should you use if your computer catches on fire? Now, exactly. So if they get this question wrong, it's going to imply that they're either guessing or they haven't watched the video. Um, but if they get it right, they've obviously really, either knew it already or have taken the information on board. In some way. So those three blue regions are going to be clickable, so they go on top of my buttons. And if I go in here, I've got settings for this poll. So I'm going to give it again a sensible title. And I'm going to change some of these settings, which affect how the poll is presented to my readers. If you go there for an overnight, and I'm putting uh, my answers you know, in just down here, morning and then you leave. That does not count as visiting Brazil, right? You can go to that you've Brazil watched the video and you'll know the answer CO2. And you can have completely different experiences every go. time you go. Sorry if I've got my back. Now, as well as obviously providing, um, so it's 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 not a very realistic. It's important that people can get to where I need them to get to within the document. So we well, have loads of navigation really options there, and we've got something called a jump to page. Again, this is going to be a clickable area that I drag over this button. For goodness sake, like don't stop. So doing stuff. Give it a sensible title again. Things your grandparents wouldn't approve of, and your grandchildren wouldn't like. You know, drink things you shouldn't be drinking. Eat food that looks very dodgy. For goodness sake. And I can select the page where I need them to go. Look at this be page three. Got to explore in that time. So, so in just a ticking them off could be tricky. But yeah, I mean, I, I secretly keep a tally. You have to now because for some countries they say to you, we li we need to list every foreign country you've been to. Oh man, that's got Phil, our coordinator, pulling his hair out as he tries <laughs> to jot down those details. Do you still enjoy travelling? Uh, that, traveling, I enjoy traveling. I like the arriving probably a bit more. I find when you said that, I thought of that sort of tunnel of doom, which is you, when you're boarding the plane and you're shuffling forward onto it. That bit, for some reason, it's sort of what I imagine meeting the maker might be like. I really get a little, oh, I don't like that at all. But I love, I do still find going on a plane, uh, even back in economy where I always am. Uh, unlike you with his upper class tag on his bag, I tell you. Um, it was a uh, gift. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy the process. I, it's quite... You know, we I, might get... There's a, still the little boy inside that goes, I'm getting on a plane. Yeah, I'm going quite. somewhere exciting. Me Never too. lose that. Never lose that enjoyment. Me We're the too. most privileged people who've ever lived, for goodness sake, to be doing it. I still get a thrill every time you land. You come in over London. If it's a clear day, if there's no cloud... And you can, you know, you can see your house, <laughs> or you can see <laughs> Richmond Park. You can see. Can you see the estate from there, Paul? Yeah, I can yeah. see the estate from there exactly. Um, 
What are the plans, before we open up to questions from the floor, what are the plans for the future? What's on the cards for the next few months? Uh, keep travelling, you know, keep making TV programmes. I'm a broadcaster. To make it really so complement my design. This is my gig. It's incredible. Tell us, tell us where. I will. I, I, well, I'm so apologise for what I'm saying. Um, I'm doing, uh, well, I'm, I'm off a bit, bit more local in the near future. I'm going to Woking and I'm going to Stockton on Tees uh, <laughs> in the near future. Sure, I was filming sure, in Peterborough sure. a few days ago. And uh, I'm filming a very, it's, it's actually completely different to anything I've done before. Um, sure, it's sure. a very, it's actually a very, it's a very emotional series to be filming. We're filming with people who have got a lot of very massive physical problems. And uh, I think it's supposed to be secret, so I shouldn't even say, so it's filming with them and trying to make their lives a lot better. But I was filming a few days back, uh, joking aside, with a gentleman in, with locked-in syndrome. And my goodness, that, that puts every other aspect of life into an extraordinary perspective. perspective. Yeah. Actually, one last question from me, and then we will open Just in case you don't, do you know what locked-in syndrome is? It's, it's brain working completely, brain completely alive, not connecting to the rest of the body. So sometimes the, you cannot move the rest of the body at all. It's the diving bell and the butterfly book and film yeah. where some people with it can only move an eyelid. And that's all, that's all they can do. But the brain inside is, is, is in completely there. Hearing works, sight works, can't speak. Yeah. All that. Um, actually, there's one thing I did want to ask you, which is about the ethics of travelling, which we touched on a little bit last year. How do you remember that? I remember stuff. Are you just incredibly professional and you write it down? No, no, no. I never write a very, for a writer, I very write, rarely write anything down. No, I just remember seeing it. I remember being here. And we were talking about these bottles and why they're important. And we were talking about the ethics of travelling today right. because every time you buy a plane ticket there is that terrible sense that we're somehow killing the planet just a little mm. bit the very planet that we're traveling to go and see we're adding to its demise yeah. how how what's your stance on the morality of it uh confused good i would say <laughs> probably like the rest of us um one curious observation about that or well, i think it is anyway but when i first started doing the teleprograms and traveling um, and people would come up to me and they would say, you know, what are you doing? You're encouraging people to explore the world and, and destroy it as a result. And I'm sort of upset and disappointed to tell you that people don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we've become so fatalistic about the fact we're heading towards a cliff edge that people have given up on, on worrying about it. I think it's, it's the trickiest aspect of our adventures, I would say. I think it comes down largely to what we do and how we travel. So years ago, I tended to think there were a lot of overwhelming negatives about travel, about the consequences of travel. I genuinely do think now there are a lot of positives that can come from it as well. We know about the engaging with different civilizations and cultures, etc. But what's something I've noticed that I feel is happening on the watch of my generation, in fact, and my, almost all of us here, is that areas we used to think of as being great wilderness areas are shrinking ever further and further. I don't know if we talked about this before, but it's no. just becoming ever more apparent. Into what I would call arcs, really. They are wildlife uh, natural arcs around the world, which are our only real hope of protecting iconic creatures on this planet. And I'm talking about things like national parks in Africa, marine protected areas and sanctuaries in the Indian Ocean, let's say. And the problem is, if we don't go to those places, 
if we don't go and visit those national parks and pay our fees to go in there, then the money won't be spent on the rangers and on the gamekeepers and on the boats and their petrol for their engines and the bullets for their guns as they protect the iconic creatures that we know and have to, pre have to preserve. If you don't go to you know, Tanjing Puting Park in Borneo, it is going to be logged and it is going to be turned into a palm oil plantation. That is the reality of life. It's not going to be left pristine out there because there's seven billion of us on this planet and we're a greedy, rapacious creature and species that is consuming it all. So we really, really, above as much as anything else, we've got to protect these iconic creatures, which are dying out. We are annihilating them. We are destroying life on our world. And I think the situation, frankly, I think is more serious than most people, um, even the most pessimistic views are. I, I've seen it changing the time I've been traveling. I now get lots, uh, you know, indigenous people in remote parts of the world saying our world is changing. We don't know why, what is going on. Um, in the coastal coast of Colombia, in the middle of Africa, in Asia. I mean, just it's it's deeply upsetting to be the sort of representative of the developed in inverted commas world who is to blame for this. Who's talking to these people as they say, you know, our way of life can't continue because it's changing so dramatically. It is happening. It is. There's a very good friend of mine called Lewis Pugh who's. Um Crazy I man. know that name. He swam in the Antarctic, right. he swam the Arctic. He's, and he's bonkers. He's complete, but he did it to highlight, didn't complete he? Complete nutter, but he did it to highlight mm. what you're saying about terrestrial game parks. He's doing it to highlight um, marine game park equivalents. They're called mm. marine protected areas. Yeah. If everybody's interested, uh, given that we've recently had a spate of whale strandings on the North Norfolk coast, and another one today, another sperm whale stranded at Honstanton. They're like a national park in the sea. It's like a yeah. national park in the sea. It's a really good movement, some really, really mm. good thing to get behind. Tell us about your water bottle. <laughs> Why these water bottles? Because you're very anti-plastic. I am very anti-plastic, it's true. And, and it, uh, I live in the middle of Devon. I got quite, I, I, the red mist started descending the other day because my missus has moved us to the countryside to live the middle class midlife dream, you know, escape to the country. There's so much plastic in the countryside now because the, the farmer's silage bags rip and get shredded. It's flying through the air. It's stuck in the bushes. It's plastic, plastic everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, you all have seen on your travels these plastic beaches now where it's all washing up out of the sea. That's just a fraction of what is in the oceans. You know, it's only sort of 90% of the plastic that we're pouring into the sea sinks to the bottom. And people will, people will tell us, oh, I'm sure we'll be able to clear it up in the future. How? It's beyond the reach of modern engineering. It's beyond the reach of any engineering we know about. And these places are absolutely vast. People know about the Pacific garbage patch, but there's one in each of our oceans now. And they're growing. We're pumping hundreds of millions of tons of plastic into the seas. It's an absolute catastrophe. Feeding into our food chain. It's turning into Wally. -E. Have you ever seen the film Wally? -E? I watched it again with my lad the other day and I started to think, oh my God, this is a documentary sent from the future. <laughs> you know, it's a frightening thing to behold, but we're heading in that direction. Choose stuff that will actually, you know, break down naturally or, or uh, over the years. Or, you know, choose stuff that lasts, for goodness sake. Stainless steel, you know, fill it up from the tap. Don't pay the crazy prices for the water. You know that. There's really good, uh, for travelling abroad actually, I can't remember the name of it, but you look it up until you'll find it. There's great water to go. Look there, personal filtration systems, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, they've got one at the back there. Okay, so you 
buy something like that, take it away when you go on your great epic adventures. Don't go buying those bottles of water from the stores in Country X, which have been sitting in 60 degree heat for half a year and have just plastified. Oh, no, no. You can get metal steel filtra filtration bottles now, much cheaper than buying loads of plastic water bottles. Thank you for saying that, Paul. So water, water to go are currently changed their poster to say as recommended by Simon <laughs> Reeve, I think. Uh, let's see your turn. Do we have a microphone to go around here? Brilliant. That's very kind of you. Um, stick your hand up if you'd like to ask questions. Simon, we'll stop with the lady here and then we'll come to the gentleman here. And then we'll go further back. Please. Hello. I was one of the people who disagreed with you about Cuba a long ah. time ago here, and I was very chuffed that you went back on as I suggested. A lady at the front who's agreeing with everything I do. <laughs> but my, my main question is what's your opinion on all this publicity about the Zika virus, and do you think the media are create or maybe frightening people from going to places where there's malaria or okay. South America? I don't think the mic's working entirely. Did, could you hear the question? No, okay. So the lady at the front was saying she was one of the people who disagreed with me uh, or, or wasn't entirely happy with the Cuba program I did a few years back. And she still very kindly turned up to chuck things, I think. And now she's saying, um, what do I think about the Zika virus? And maybe are the media uh, blowing it up? And uh, is, is it a big problem, I think? Um, so in response to the Cuba point, just to cover that very quickly, I think... What we didn't adequately do in that program was film or talk about uh, the blockade, particularly in, uh, in the American blockade. It's a, it's a really hard thing to film. We tried filming different aspects of it. Some people took the fact that I was saying Cuba is changing as if I supported that fact. I am not a fan of, of global capitalism, okay? But I think, I, it was a, I think we were reflecting what was happening there and what was changing. And I think it, it, it obviously is underway. On the Zika virus, my God, I mean, this is, this is sounding pretty scary at the moment, isn't it? Um, so it's, it's not sounding good, particularly if you're somebody who's thinking of traveling, um, particularly to the Caribbean and South America. If you're pregnant and you're thinking of having a baby, you should certainly be thinking about what you're doing. I think, yes, the media are going to blow it out of proportion and are going to turn it into a terrifying uh, situation because that's kind of, I mean, it is a scary situation. It is a scary thing. But I think what we won't get from the media, perhaps, is a bit of perspective. You know, we have to remember we live in a country where every year hundreds of people are hospitalized because they have an accident putting on their trousers. You know, I'm not, I, I'm as flippant. But it is reality. 1,700 people in Britain die a year on the roads. Life is dangerous. It's not, you're not born in cotton wool. What you have to decide, I think, is how much risk you're prepared to take. Do you want to live behind closed doors? Do you want to live your life on your knees? Or are you going to take sensible precautions and get out there and enjoy what the world has to offer? Because life is so short and travel and adventure is such an, an extraordinary way of racking up great memories. So I would say assess the, the risk, look at the websites, draw your own intelligent conclusions because you know I'm sure you will. Obviously you have to reflect and, and respect probably what the, the foreign office will say because that will affect your insurance. I know the big travel companies are trying to be very flexible and understanding about this. I think I've just lost a button. Um, so obviously you need to check if you're thinking of traveling. 
But you know, I think if you look into the Zika virus a bit more, as I'm sure people will, it's been around for a very long time. It's probably, pro possibly, I should say, been endemic in India for a very long time. There are lots of other nasty bugs and viruses out there as well. The world is not necessarily a safe, uh, an entirely safe place when it comes to that. But you can take precautions. You must wear a seatbelt. You must take the pills. You must seek the medical advice. And you go out there and I'm, you almost guarantee you'll have an incredibly extraordinary time for it. So don't be put off, for goodness sake. Zika's, I know you won't, but... <laughs> Zika's been around since 1956 yeah. in Africa. It was first discovered in Uganda. Um, very few people have come back from Africa with any problems. But as Simon says, check the World Health um, Organization website and the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. May I just have another thought. Um, in truth, the Zika virus and many other problems like that, they generally don't affect wealthy, white, European, foreign travelers, right? They generally don't because these are issues that affect the poorer members of the societies because they're the people who don't have the, the nets, the uh, teams going around clearing out the stagnant water where mosquitoes breed. So, you know, you're insulated and protected in bubbles when, when, we're, when we're foreign travelers. We're, can we have shorter answers, short, answer, I'm short sorry. questions, and we'll come to some more people, please. Well, well, well done, Paul. Considering the state of the ivory problem, how, without changing the mindset of China and places like that, how is it ever going to be possible? Good question. Without um, changing the mindset of people in China, how are we ever going to resolve the um, ivory problem? I think it's a really good, really good point. I think um, it's not just China. I think there is a bit of actual speculation about where most of the demand comes from. A lot of it with, um, is coming from the Middle East as well, actually. There's a lot of demand for, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? Um, the handles of ceremonial daggers in the Middle East. They're often made with large pieces of ivory and rhino horn and things like that. That's actually one of the biggest demands. I think we have to put pressure. We have to keep saying to um, China and the Chinese, look, this is destroying iconic creatures on our planet. China is a much more sophisticated, thoughtful country than we actually think, in, in, in my view. I was blown away by China and the Chinese when I visited there. There is a growing environmental movement there. There is a growing vegetarian movement there. Buddhism is growing there. Christianity is growing. They will move away from being voracious consumers of endangered creatures. But we have to encourage and, and, and help and, and, and try and push that as well. And, and stop the trade. I, you know, shoot, the, shoot the bloody poachers, for goodness sake. Shoot the people who are doing the trading. I'm, I'd go quite hardcore on it. Because this is wiping out creatures that our grandchildren deserve, need and desire. Lady here. Hi. Hello. Um, we've Hold talked it. quite a lot about um, people contacting you for good and bad reasons. I'm sure <laughs> mainly for good. Um, I've been trying to get hold of Adri Adrian Childs for the last three weeks, ever since I saw his, Have you been very chasing fascinating, him around? Right. his fascinating programs on religions around the Mediterranean. And I've failed miserably and I just wondered what the secret was contacting people with goodness how can this lady get in touch with Adrian Childs does anybody know uh, she's just after some advice I have no idea I mean he's uh, you know uh, a, a big A-list telly person Twitter I don't know it's, it's quite a good way of, of contacting people how do people get hold of you uh, Twitter's quite good. I, I look at it now and again. I mean, okay. obviously, all these telly people, they've got agents. Or you, if you write, I don't know, is he at the BBC, Adrian Charles? I think he is now. Right, so if you write to the BBC, they, I think there's a charter obligation 
where they have to pass the letters on to his agent and his people. I think they have to reply. I would write to the producer of the programme, because I shouldn't say it, but I think they're obligated to respond. But, you know, I mean, forgive them if they don't immediately. We have to wrap up, but we'll take one last question, please. One final question then, Simon. Love the travel shows, but after your appearance on Bake Off, have you ever thought about doing a cookery series? Oh, thank you for that. The best till last. So, yeah, uh, ladies, I don't know if you can hear it all here. That sounded very clear. Um, it's, a, it, it remind, it's a reminder of a very dark period of my, <laughs> of my life where uh, somebody asked me, would you go on uh, charity Celebrity Break, Bake Off no, everybody else has refused and they're running out of time and I hadn't, I hadn't watched it and I agreed and foolishly didn't watch it in advance uh, travelling a lot didn't get a chance to watch much, much telly I thought the idea was you go on there and you were sort of mentored and I, so I agreed rashly and they were all very friendly and matey up to that point and then they start sending you document after document about what you've got to do I was looking at this 10 page document that said you must bake a showstopper cake and I said to my wife, what am I going to do? She said, don't worry about it. Just go on there, fail miserably, give everybody a laugh. That's what you're supposed to do. And I, I, I don't know if I gave the laugh, but I did fail miserably. I'll tell you what, they were not impressed at all because I, I burnt the cake, and I don't know if it was on the telly, but um, I thought it was quite a clever idea. I took it outside when they weren't filming, when they weren't looking, and I tried to grate the side of the burnt bit off with a cheese grater. And they weren't impressed by this and apparently could taste the, um, the burning inside. Um, what else about it? Uh, Paul Hollywood had his feet up quite a lot and he was dictating and talking about his new books. Uh, Mary Berry was very lovely. Um, I gave her some whiskey at one point and they didn't, I don't think they put that on the telly. I tried to get people drunk. That's normally a policy I, I adhere to in life. Whiskey not from pocket, but oh, there's some. Mary, would you care for a tot or two? She had them. Anyway, sorry. We have to wrap up there because they've got more people coming, but Simon will be signing books. If you want to carry on having a chat with him or maybe offer him a tot of whiskey or two, uh, I think the signings are at the stand. Can I just say thank you to Paul? Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much indeed. It's lovely to be back. Very really nice to see you, Simon. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Reeve. Shall we hold hands? Shall we hold hands? <laughs>